at this, let me just give a, a, a commentary on what we do here. Every Sunday we gather, and, and at this moment, uh, I'm going to preach, or one of the guys is going to preach. So you're going you're gonna to listen to preaching. Preaching's intended to feel a certain way, to accomplish certain things. I'll tell you right up front, especially if you're new to the church, or maybe just visiting with us today, I am up here today trying to convince you of things. Right? That's what preachers do. Every time I stand up here, I have argued with my own soul. I have stared into God's word. I have sought to let him have the final say-so over whatever it is we're going to talk about. And now I'm ready for an argument. And so I'm here to argue with everything else that's going on in our head. That that what God has to say about what we're going to talk about on any given Sunday. uh, This is what God has. And I'm here to convince you of that. But let me just say this. This is not the first preaching that you have heard this week. You live in a world that's preaching. Everybody's preaching. Everybody's trying to convince somebody else of their perspective. And if for no other reason, we preach to others because we're trying to shore up our own insecure perspective. I'm trying to get other people to go along with the way in which I see life because that makes me feel like, okay, I'm cool. I'm, I'm on board right. Everybody's preaching. Right? If you watch the Emmys or the Oscars or the Grammys, everybody's preaching. They may not be good preachers, but they're preaching. They got nominated for some award and they're going to stand up and preach. Everybody's got a conviction, don't they? Everybody's got an attitude. Everybody's got a chip on their shoulder. Everybody wants everybody else to know this is how you should feel. And and it's kind of strange because they can bring up whatever about whatever topic. But they're out to convince you that you need to stop feeling this way and start feeling this way about whatever it is I just mentioned. And that's true in social media. Let somebody throw an opinion up, a quote, a video. And it's inviting, because that that video is preaching. It's got a perspective loaded into it that's trying to tell you, this is what I think everybody ought to be thinking. Or, this is stupid, isn't it? This is ridiculous. Can you believe people think this way? And it wants you to say, amen, on your little post. So you're encountering preaching all the time. Now here's the challenge. Because I want to start off by stepping into what we have been preached about in this particular category. And I'm going to introduce our next vocabulary word. We're just learning some vocabulary words so that we can do life in 2019. Right? There's a story to be lived out. There's places to go. There's life to be lived. You're going to manage relationships. You're going to manage your money and your time and your goals. You're going to manage your depression and what you're excited about. You're going to need these words. But the word that we're going to study today has so fallen out of grace with our culture. By its very nature, our culture teaches us, don't go there. It just doesn't use this word. But what's wrapped up in the word, their culture is teaching you, preaching to us every day, don't go there. That's not good. Don't do that. This is better. Right? So join me with a couple of guys who are some good social observers here with a couple of quotes these will be online or in your outlines here mark sayer's excellent book strange days he says the contemporary life script of the achievement culture that's our culture that we're living in today 
is to arrange a life that delivers constant, pleasurable feelings. To keep the social and psychic borders up. To keep negative feelings outside. Compounded by the belief communicated from Disney children's movies to self-help literature that a life free of negative feelings and painful emotions is imminently possible. Did you know that? You can live a life pain-free, doesn't have all that negative junk and stuff that somebody else has fallen for. This belief is confirmed by contemporary parenting styles and dominant educational practices that insulate the young from the painful realities of life. The sting of disappointments and consequences and the limiting reality of a broken creation. However, life in the spirit, as described in the Bible, is a very different proposition than the accruing of positive emotions and feelings. God's salvation plan is a far broader canvas than the simple inflating of individual emotions. The Bible is going to sound very, very different when it stands up and yells out, Hey, come over here and have the abundant life. It's going to sound really weird to you because what the preaching you normally listen to doesn't sound like what we're about to talk about. Here's an interesting thought John Stark in his preaching to a secular age. He says the modern person sees personal human flourishing as here's her highest commitment. That's what we're about. Christianity is not a means to human flourishing. Now, would differ with him a little bit on that. I think I get where he's going, but it is a means to human flourishing, actually. In fact, Christianity instructs us, isn't this true? To die to self. Consider others more important. Turn the cheek. Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Enter into weeping and sadness with others. This, of course, creates a conflict with the modern, which sees God and neighbor as enhancements. That we can take or leave when they become burdensome and demand sacrifice. Like, right, life is supposed to enhance my journey. You're supposed to be in this in a positive way. Surround yourself with those kind of people. Remember that toxic word I talked about a few weeks ago? Don't, don't let toxic people into your world. They just bring you down. They're not going where you're going. Because the message of our culture is stuff exists to enhance the journey that you're on. Don't let all those negative naysayer kind of people... They have struggles and problems. Keep them out of your life. He says, our churches potentially are filled with people who see their current church commitments and investments into community as enhancements to their flourishing. Right? Can you stop for a second and think, are, are you here? Have you been a part of a church through your life because you, you really like the children's program?" Or because, you know, the church just shows up in your life in a way that really matters to you. And you you really like that church. But you don't like that church. When you finish that statement, I really like that church. it's, It's not about the life you're living in the community of God. It's about how other people are serving your interest. You know how easy that is to do? It starts making this feel a little bit more like a country club than it does like a church. When these enhancements begin to impede our flourishing by asking for sacrifice and demanding discomfort, the temptation will be to put off faith as an intolerable intruder. I mean, church gets to be a pain in the butt at some point. 
This may not be a conscious or explicitly stated condition, but it is the way hearts are formed in the West today. All right, so I just, what I just want to do just now is pick a scab. I just want to make everybody bleed. Because when we walk in here, we forget this really is what's going on underneath us sometimes. But we're in church, we're going to smile, and we're going to go along with stuff. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good, that's good. But there's a little bit of us that expects, demands life to be a certain way. And we don't get it when people don't get on board with us. Because life is supposed to be reinforcing. And taking me where I've always wanted to go, etc. Here, I'm going to skip a big chunk of this other quote. But Brian Russell's got an interesting article called How Entitlement Attitudes Harm America. You just jump to this last paragraph there. He says, American popular culture increasingly fosters entitlement attitudes. This teaches young people growing up in our culture that the world revolves around them. Go out in public with little children and see if you don't agree with that thought. It teaches them that if something makes them feel better about themselves, they should do it or have it. By promoting excessive self-focus and encouraging self-indulgence, our culture reinforces a worldview by which, in which entitlement attitudes thrive. That life is all about getting what we want. And if you're wondering whether that is impacting you, just think through some times recently when you didn't get what you wanted. Bad customer service. People around you not not having your agenda, not reinforcing, not celebrating the things you're celebrating, just not showing up in your category significantly. There's something in the water that we're drinking that's teaching us that this is how life should feel. And then you, you meet Jesus and he says radical, crazy things. If anybody would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus, that is not inviting. Somebody from marketing needs to have a conversation with you. That is no way to build a following. You're going to get no likes with stuff like that. And, and then, and you know, anybody here today, if you're, if, you're just, if you're just nominally interested and you believe in your heart that there's a God and he's a superior being, there's some great things about him and I don't even know if I know all about him. And I would just, I just want to be in contact with him. I would, I would want to have some kind of a relationship with this God. Right. This is what the Bible says. The Bible installs, right? If you and I are traveling this pathway of life, you're going to come to this door. And, the, and this over this door is going to be a word. There's probably a lot of words we could stick right here. But there's going to be this word crucified over this door. If, if you want the life that God has for you, you're going to have to pass through that door. You're going to need to be crucified. That doesn't sound rewarding and positive and fun on its face value, does it? It's just not attractive in some ways, but it is what the Bible says. 
And so I'm going to try and explain that word in three ways today. i put a little definition there in your outline. It describes something first that is done to Christ on our behalf. So when the Bible uses this word, Jesus Christ was crucified. Not because of anything he had done. And not for his own benefit. He was crucified in our place, on our behalf. Crucified also describes something that is credited to our account and our identity. So we get to receive something. It's Jesus is going to do something and it's going to bing, show up in our account. You ever get those little notices from your phone? Bing, somebody just deposited money in your account. You know? That sort of a thing is happening. Jesus goes to the cross and into my account as a believer, bing, I'm, I'm crucified now too. But wait a minute, I, I, I didn't do anything. I, didn't, I wasn't there. Oh, well, you, you don't quite understand it, but yeah, you actually were. And so there's another dimension of crucified in that it, it, it's, it's now who I am. And the third aspect of how it's used is something that we do as we live our lives. So that word crucify is going to get used in three different ways, similar and related ways. In all of them, it is a death that fulfills the will of the Father so that there can be the restoration of life. And all those ways in which crucified is used, that's what this door is doing. This door leads somewhere. But you've got to go through the door. On the other side of it, it leads to a restoration of life. And not only that, it's, it's, it's a mindset. This being crucified is a mindset, not just some historic activity. Right? So we pick that up from Philippians chapter 2. Let me just see how this word helps us understand what we're going to be doing this year, right? When we go to do life in 2019, here's Paul helping the Philippians go to do life. Here, you guys are about to do life here. Here's some insights. And he says in chapter 2 of Philippians verse 1, he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And now do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Crucified. Now, if I, if I kind of read this passage, right, I, I, I like the architecture of this passage. I don't know if you paid attention to kind of all that it kind of travels through. It starts in some places that I think, wouldn't we all like to have some of where this starts? Look, look, look at the words that are there. Encouragement. Comfort. Anybody up for a little encouragement? Right? I mean, you, you do life, and life has discouraging moments. Real discouragement awaits us in 2019. 
You're going to travel through life and a category of your life is going to go from bright, shiny, fun, interesting to discouraging in your life. Wouldn't you like to have a remedy for that? Wouldn't you like to have encouragement come into those settings that really, really are discouraging? Hey, don't be one of those weird more spiritual than the Bible Christians, like there's Christians out there who don't have, don't, they don't experience discouragement. Just victory, victory, victory. No, no. You're either, you're either on something or you're living in denial or you're in heaven and you just happen to beam some thoughts back to us. Life really can find its moments where it's discouraging, where, where you need comfort. Right? You're, you're going to do life this year and it, it's, it's going to have categories of pain in it. it it's going to grab you by your insecurities and drag you into the very places that you've been trying to avoid your whole life. It's like, that's the one thing I don't want to be doing. And look where I am. Look, I can't believe this has happened. And everything that you're afraid of is featured in that moment. And, and you get to live right there. In that day, you're going to be saying, my book, some comfort would be really nice. How about participation in the spirit? That's a loaded phrase, isn't it? What does that even mean? I'm too big for, you know, all these vocabulary words have got so much baggage attached to them. I'm kind of like, I can't believe I'm going to try and preach one message on this word. This is crazy. But there is this participation in the spirit that, that our souls long for. You and I are longing for something more than our own life that we're living. Even the best version of our own life. If you and I could jack this thing up and make it just sing, and it was just our life, your soul would still be crying out for something else. It, it, It wants something else. It wants to participate in the life of God. It wants to be touched by God. It wants to, as Jack Deere said last week, wants to feel the affection of God. So listen, if you could take you and read every self-help book and every executive principle you can get a hold of and surround yourself with the most positive people you could ever get, just polish your life up to where, man, that is the best version that it's ever going to be right there. Something in your soul would still be going, uh, something's not right. It's still not enough. Because we want to participate in the life of the Spirit of God in our lives too. And then just, you know, this is being preached to a, a, like churches like ours. People are going to be doing life together, need to hear this. And they're going to need this word in order to do life together. But one of the interesting things here, and a little bit of an adjustment for us, is, is the little grouping of affection and sympathy. Paul just kind of throwing this out. Hey, Philippians. Hey, hey, Lakeview Christian Center. How about about a little affection and sympathy amongst yourselves? How about life having moments where that's what's washing up on your shoreline? Affection and sympathy, right? Those words in the original language, they mean deep inward kindness, affection, compassion, tender mercies. Now, listen, ultimately we know that we, we get this ultimately from God. These, these things have got to come ultimately to us from God. But you know, that they, sometimes they travel through people from God to us. And so this community in Philippians is being taught, hey, these, these kind of should be some of your experiences. Um, 
Can I just put a little asterisk underneath that thought just for you? Hold on to this. Maybe we'll come back and preach on it a little bit more in the year here. You ever thought that sometimes the, the church doesn't always do that real well? Affection and sympathy. Here, here's why I say that. And, and really, and preaching has a lot to do with this. Sometimes when we show up in people's lives and their life is, is hurting, it's broken, it's in need, it's dysfunctional, it's, it's having one bad day after another. The thing that we learn the most how to do is happening right now in this room at this moment. Right? We are being taught God's word and that's super valuable. And we should live a life that reflects what we have learned and what we're teaching. So the church becomes a place of principles and truths. You know, crucified. You can have a principle walk away with today. You can have a concept in your head. Now, here's where we move into life with each other and we sit down on the sofa next to somebody or we get in a small group and we do life together and we're having coffee with somebody and and they're going through life in such a way that it just feels like I'm bleeding all over the place. I'm in pain. I don't understand. Oh, you don't understand. I've got answers. And we take out our Bible scripture verses and we just start slapping principles on people's pain well is there something wrong with that Keith uh no and yes when, when somebody's wounds go so deep most people that you're relating to by the way they know the bible passages you're telling them It's just they're sensing a level of pain that runs so deep that's all they can pay attention to at this moment is this hurts at a level or is confusing in a way or has no answer to the hundred answers I've tried to give to it in such a way. And then you and I come along and say, well, just read this verse. Like it's, you know, it's a principle prescription. You just take this verse, go home with it, and your whole world will be better. Go on. They come in our small group meetings. Just their soul is bleeding. And we've got a verse for them. Here, take this. You'll be fine. Where's the affection and the sympathy? Where's the sense of tender mercies? You know, some people just need you to cry with them. They don't need you to say anything to them. Because sometimes life is really, really, really hard to answer. Why is this happening? And listen, I have been so guilty of this, right? I'm a word guy. That's what I do. I I make arguments. I'll argue with your life. You bring your life to me, I'll argue with it. You come to me for counseling and your life is screaming out all these accusations and problems and why everything's wrong. I'll argue with it. I got arguments. But I've learned over the years, there's a time for arguments And there's also just a time to cry with people and just say, I am so sorry for how this feels. Is that the last thing I'm going to say? I'm never going to say anything more to them? No. I'm in their life. I'm going to say a lot more to them. But you might want to learn that sometimes people are in a moment of pain where they just need your sympathy and your affection. They don't need you to tuck up a quick little teaching point that's making it feel like, well, if you just believed this, you wouldn't feel that way. 
Uh, now, there's feelings in life that don't go away once you believe the right thing. They, there's still pain. There's still disappointment. There's still discouragement sometimes. And so I think we could learn in this area. And this probably needs to be something that we do in our small groups, that we learn how to care for each other, how to walk through pain with one another in a way that doesn't sound like, hey, welcome to the church of principles. Let me just throw up, that's principle number 38. Oh, you don't know principle number 38? I thought everybody knew principle number 38. Come over, bring your bleeding over here. When I'm done with this, yeah, this principle, you're going to be fine. You know, the church shouldn't feel that way. Because humanity's bigger in this conversation than just, let me just throw a principle at you, right? Well, these are the things that we're after, right? We want these things. We want to experience these things. But there's a little bit of a problem in getting there in verse 3. Do nothing... From rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Right? So Paul's say, hey, all this comfort, all this care, all this oneness and experiencing love together. But see, there's this problem. There, there's this, there are these issues among us. That, you know, something about us, when we come in contact with others, there's conceit. And there's self-interest that's elevated in all. Inside of us is operating this thing where I've got an agenda for me. And, and I hope my agenda gets along with your agenda. But a lot of times it just doesn't. It, it, you know, if you read your Bible a little bit, it will definitely leave you wrestling with not mocking dumb ideas. Right, you, you watch, you know, when it's an award show or someone wants to come on and just stand up and make this big sweeping statement that sounds like, you know, why can't we just love each other? Why don't we just tolerate and get along with each other? Thank you, John Lennon and all of you writing songs. I wish it was just that easy. I wish we could just put together a melody line with a cool tune and here we go. We're just all going to love each other. Have at it. You know, the Bible's pretty simple about explaining, you know, that doesn't quite work that way, does it? Because at, at some point, I'm going to develop a value system of things that are very, very important to me. They further my life. They, they take me where I think I need to go for my own well-being. And there are certain things that are absolutely to be avoided because I think they're going to bring me harm and I'm afraid of them. And when fear and ambition get mixed up inside of me, I become a certain type of person. And then you come along with your list of things that really, really matter to you that you really want to have in your life and things that you want to be protected from and you don't want to go anywhere near that. And your list doesn't match my list. As a matter of fact, if we go with your list then I'm going to have to give up on a bunch of things on my list. Or if we go with your list, if life is done the way you want it done, it's going to be at my expense and I'm terrified about that. Well, you know, if you make me afraid enough, I'm going to get something out and hurt you. We're going to go to war with each other. This is not really mysterious. Why don't people just love each other? Well, because it's just not that simple. So the history of man, one group wars against another and this group splits off and they war within themselves and these people are all fine until one day they figure out, hey, I think I could take advantage of these people because I'm 
a businessman. I mean, it's, this is history, isn't it? I've got interests. I've got interests on the other side of the world. I think we're going to send ships to the Americas and we're going to get all kinds of spices that we want in our tea. And we need this so badly. This is our value system that we're going to go enslave some people on another continent so that they can go and get us sugar for our tea. Why don't we just love each other? Well, that'd be great. But that's going to be a problem because at some point my interest is going to trump your interest or yours is going to trump mine and we're not going to get along. But what good news is in this passage? See, this issue gets addressed by having this mind in you that was also in Christ who's going to find his way to that word crucified. When crucified touches your life, you have a different means of relating to people and their needs and who they are and who they're going to be in your life. But if this word doesn't touch your life, your value system is going to clash with somebody else's value system and it's going to be the people you're married to, the people you live with, the people you work with, the people you go to church with, and you're just not going to get along. You come into church, right? I and mean, this, this is why people compete with each other in the, church, in the world. They, they come into the church and they compete and compare. Compare. Wouldn't you love to be in a church where there's no gossip, no curled noses, nobody looking down at somebody else going, hmm, did you hear what happened to him and his wife? You know, I just kind of knew it was a matter of time, honestly. We've been praying for him. Oh, thank you. Thank you for praying for them while you're gossiping. That's awesome. So, so why, are you, why are you stuffing them down into the swamp, into the mud? Well, I don't know, Keith, I've never really thought about it, but I, but I guess it kind of makes me feel better, you know? It makes me feel better that, you know, I get that I'm kind of a loser, but I like it when other people lose too because it makes me feel like I'm not so bad. You know, I thought my marriage was bad, but theirs is blowing up. This is, this is what's in us. This is what's in us that Paul says, hey, can, can you let a different mindset, can you, can you let the word crucified into your life and let it do its work to you? It's a wonderful vocabulary word, super helpful. Here's the lowest point, right? Here's the architecture. You got high lofty ideas. You got these barriers and problems in the middle verses there. And then you get to chapter, verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of being crucified. The greatest human act ever in the history of man involves the word crucified. And then Jesus stands and invites people to travel through the same door. He says, hey, I went through this door. Why don't you join me? Why don't you walk through this door? This is a crazy offer. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. 
You have the Son of God who's going to appeal to people after Philippians just modeled for us this upside-down reality. How much sense does it make for the Son of God, who is God himself, to forego glory? You and I have no, we have no concept of this. We can't even go there in our minds. What is it like for the God who is glorious to set that aside and to dress up like one of us with our limitations and you can see the end of your existence at the end of your fingers? This is crazy. See, you and I don't get this. I've tried to come up with illustrations through the years and it's like I can't come up with one that even comes close to this. This is the one that sticks in my head, right? I'm a human being standing in my front lawn one day watching my son push the lawnmower towards this ant pile. Doom. Doom is coming to these ants. I decide to abandon all glory as a human being and take the form of an ant. I become an ant, run among them, warning them how to find life and escape the doom that is on its way to them. Of course, they turn on me and kill me as the ant who came to do them good. See, now, I'm thinking as a human, I mean, I walk across your yard and see, does anything in you make you want to do that? I'm like, kill them all. <laughs> When you're done dispersing them all over the yard, can we sprinkle something on them that kills them and makes them not come back? See, I'm not looking to humble myself and become one of them. That's nuts. Just blast them. But here you have the Son of God. He's, he's going to empty himself. See, this, is, this doesn't sound like pop culture, does it? Hey, this week when you go out, empty. You know, just empty yourself. You know, all gone. That's the Son of God, all, all gone. And, and humble yourself. You know, take the form of something that no one's going to sit back and go, Whoo, did you hear what he tweeted? Oh, did you? Oh, let me forward that. No, no, you're going to do something so humble, no one's going to notice you. They're not going to applaud you. They're not going to stop in their tracks and say, aren't you amazing? And he's the God who created everything. And he's walking past people on the street, bumping into people. They don't even know who he is. He's nobody to them. Don't you find it amazing that the night the soldiers come to find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, somebody's got to tell them who he is? I always get that story and I'm like, really? The one that I kiss, he's the one. Come on, man, he's Jesus. I mean, isn't he famous? Doesn't everybody know who this guy is? No. No, Roman soldiers. I don't know, which one is he? That's the son of God. Who's going to be obedient to the point of giving up his life. Everything about his life is going to be yielded for the sake of others. For their good and for God's glory. Can can I just tell you, you're not going to hear that at a post this week. You're not going to get applauded for stepping back. You're not going to be appreciated by this world as though you've arrived in a place of great value because you have stepped back and become less than who you could be. No, this world is teaching you to get everything to go your way. And if it doesn't go your way, then somebody's doing something wrong. Somebody around you is doing something wrong. Somebody should be sued. God should be taking the court. Doesn't God know? And... and Yet you have Jesus who invites people to himself this way in Luke chapter 9. 
He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is, this is upside down. Let him deny himself. Do you see those words? Let him deny himself. My world doesn't teach me to deny myself. It teaches me there's a problem when I have to deny myself. If I have an impulse, if I have an urge, if I have a desire, I should get to do whatever that desire is. And you should understand that. You should applaud that. You should appreciate that. That's how our world feels. It doesn't make me want to run through the door crucified. But just remember something. Jesus came and announced to people who were busy doing life. He says, I have come so that you could have life and have it abundantly. Follow me to that life. Here's the first door. Can you do life without going through that door? Yeah. Lots of people do. Many of us do. I don't want to go through that door. We'll just figure out another way to do life. And could that life be rewarding? Yeah. Could you make money doing that life? Yeah. Could you be healthy doing that life? In some way, yeah. Did you get married and have kids and have stuff in your world? Yeah. Yeah. But you know what you can't have? Whatever abundant life is, you can't have. Whatever that is. Whatever the God of the universe steps in and says, hey, this is why I'm here. I'm here that you could have abundant life. I came to bring you life. Here, walk through this door with me and follow me. If you value something else at the expense of a crucified life, then... Whatever you got is not the abundant life Jesus said he came to bring us. You only get that through losing your life and then finding another life. That's upside down, isn't it? That's a little crazy. Leon Morris has a great little, I'll put this quote in here because just, it's just a helpful thought. He says, the flesh in this sense denotes the whole personality of man, listen, as organized in the wrong direction. That's a good good definition. As directed to earthly pursuits rather than the service of God. The fall has made you and I organized in the wrong direction. So we're like full speed ahead, but we're we're pointing at the wrong thing. Jesus comes along and says, but if if you pass through this door and your life will be lost... I'll reset your life around the right thing. You'll live a totally different life. Now listen, I know this self-denial, anything that sounds like self-denial, anything that sounds like at any moment in your life, you should look at yourself and say, no. What are you talking about? No. That's wrong or it would be wrong for me. I shouldn't do that. Anything like that today sounds, you should never tell anybody something like that. That's what it feels like in our culture. 
You should act on, we should change all the laws in our land that make room for everybody to act on whatever. Let's just remove any form of boundary. Everybody should just be able to do whatever it is that they want to do. You know, Jesus comes along, parks his kiosk outside of Jerusalem. People pass by and they come up. He presents to them, here's life. If anybody would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. The little kiosk set up by our culture today, it's standing and it's saying this. If anyone would find a life that is fulfilling and rewarding, let him deny all external thoughts, traditions, or norms, and to thine own self be true. And don't let anybody tell you, you can't. What's the deal with everybody got a chip on their shoulder? Why is it that, you know, you're the New England Patriots and you win the Super Bowl every other year, but your speech sounds like, they said we couldn't do it. Yeah, they said we couldn't do it. Uh, One, I'm not sure anybody said that, but you seem to be really PO'd about that. What is it? There's this attitude in us, don't tell me what I can't do and I'm just I just can't wait for you to put a microphone in front of my mouth so I can come off like I am so sick of people telling me what I can't do what is wrong with you I'm just asking you a question (laughs) but that's how life feels because life feels like you should be empowered to do anything you want to do and dare the person stand up in front of you and say you can't do that that's where that comes from that's why that feels that way. Here's an interesting thought, Charles, Charles Taylor in his book, The Secular Age. He says, what I've called the culture of authenticity, I mean the understanding of life that each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity. And that it is important to find and live out one's own. As against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside. By society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. One can trace the strengthening, even radicalization of this ethos. A growing sense of the right, even the duty, to resist established codes and standards. To declare openly for the art and the mode of life that they felt inspired to create and live. So you build this world. It's made out of your own stuff and your own feelings and your own opinions. And you get all attached to it. And then you meet Jesus and he comes along and says, the one who loses his life. That one is the one who will find it. Really? I'm, I'm going to need to take all that I've built and, and do this with it? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. And that's what that word crucified is about. When you venture in, I'm going to do this really quickly. When you venture into how that word is used, you have Jesus in Luke chapter 9 alluding to taking up a cross daily. I don't have time to unpack a lot of these thoughts, but if you were passing through a town in the Roman Empire and you saw a guy carrying a cross, you fully understood where he's going. Not to Baskin Robbins. He's not on his way to the airport to go to some great location. He's 
going to die. Period. No stops, nothing else to do. That's what that image was. So to bear your cross was to have a place where death made sense to you. You were dying. But the Christian version of that is that we might have life and have it abundantly. Right? So Romans 6 is going to pick up some of this. And Galatians will pick up this crucified language. Romans 6 it says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And listen, that enslavement is what's making me conceited and prideful. And interested in my own agenda. And not looking out for your interest because I'm too busy looking out for mine. For one who has died has been set free from sin. All right, in your outline, carefully listen. This is a big statement that doesn't have time to be discussed. A crucified life is both a justification truth and a sanctification truth. It is something done for us that is credited to us and becomes part of our self-identity. But... It is also a truth that we put on and take action in our daily routines with. And this sounds and feels more like self-denial. So I don't know if you've ever thought, but when you pick up that word crucified, depending on what direction you stare in with it, that are all biblical directions, the word doesn't exactly feel the same. I got crucified here. And I've been crucified with Christ and he has reconciled me to God and paid my debt completely. And now I stand righteous before God. How's that feel? Let's sing, right? Pretty. Wow. Then there's an identity component. And that has become part of who you are. So that that which was the life in Christ is now the life in you. And when you go to do your life this week, you got that going on. That's crucified. And then you got this other one over here that feels like self-denial. Do you understand these all three don't feel the same way? And they're all three biblical words, biblical concepts, that when you and I appropriate the word crucified and unpack it, it unpacks a lot of luggage. It touches a lot in our lives. This is a valuable, valuable word. Travel with me here through Galatians. When Paul goes to explain this concept in Galatians, Galatians 2.20 introduces this word. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Past tense, completed, right? Paul's not adding anything to this. He can't adjust it. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, right? Move to the present, right? So I have been crucified that in the past. Got to pull out an old calendar and find the moment when that was true. But... Here, the life I now live, the one going on right here while I'm standing in front of you, this one right here, this present one, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how's that going to play out? This past thing is for my benefit and my help, and I go to live my life here today. How's that play out? Well, he kind of explains it in three chapters later in Galatians 5, verse 16. He says, but I say... Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? So still present in every one of us is a set of desires that will go off from time to time. 
And there's this war here. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's a, that's a big statement. Okay, I got the word crucified in my hands. Which direction am I facing in when I read that passage? Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. Well, they're all related. But this is an action you're actually doing. This is an action Christ did. And this has got a credit to my account. So I believe it and trust in it and receive from it. This is something I'm going to do tomorrow morning. So listen, if you only stare in this direction with the word crucified, you might never do anything with it. And that's going to be a problem for you to cross 2019, to live your life, do your life. Because there's an aspect of experiencing the fullness of God that's going to feel like self-denial. That's what it's going to feel like. John Stott says, this verse in Galatians is frequently misunderstood. You don't have this quote, sorry. Please notice that the crucifixion of the flesh described here is something that is done not to us, but by us. And so when I, when I go to cross this year, I'm going to need this word. I'm going to need to understand how it got done and how it got accomplished and who has done that on my behalf and what it has imparted to me and redefined who I am and how I live and what functions and empowers the life that I'm going to live. And at some moment during the year, this word is going to feel like self-denial. It's going to feel like I'm staring at that and I'm going, don't do that. I know you want to do that. I know you think that's a good thing to do. I know you think it's rewarding. I know you're scared to do anything different. It's going to have all kinds of arguments and it's going to feel like you saying, okay, no, I'm not going to do that. Even though I really feel like I really want to. But yeah, that was a passage about the desires of the flesh waging war with the spirit. You know, yeah, okay, yeah. But can I just, I'm very concerned that in a culture that teaches us to only feel positive, you will not welcome anything that feels like self-denial. When self-denial touches you, it's going to feel wrong to you. Like something's wrong with my life. Something's wrong with what I believe. Something's wrong with this whole thing. Why does this feel this way? Because I feel like life should be positive and rewarding and affirming of me and and encouraging one place to the next. Sometimes it's going to feel like self-denial. And Jesus made it sound like that might be a daily experience. Anyone would come after me, take up his cross daily and follow me. Two quick thoughts and I'm going to pray for us. Sinclair Ferguson, in his excellent book, The Christian Life, a couple thoughts from him. He says, we must affirm in this context that crucifying sin is a central, practical issue in Christian experience. This neglected area of truth must be recovered. And in our present culture, must be taught to younger and older Christians alike. Undoubtedly, 
One of the reasons some younger Christians make shipwreck of their faith is because they have never learned how to deal with indwelling sin. Or what is worse, have been encouraged to see it as an irrelevance. It is one of the signs of our morally confused church life today that there is so much hesitation here. We have lost confidence in the clear commands of Scripture. That word crucifies a good biblical word. You know what's really shocking as I read Sinclair Ferguson say that? He's writing that thought in 1981. Oh, Sinclair. <laughs> we had no idea what was coming in culture. <laughs> One more thought from him. He says, in the Gospels as in the letters, the cross... Eric, you can come back up. Where are you? The cross was the most vivid symbol word for death. To follow Christ means to pronounce the death sentence upon sin and be in the process of putting that sentence into effect by daily crucifixion of all that sets itself against God's purpose in our lives. Inevitably, the sources of our temptations differ according to our personalities, our temperaments, and circumstances. Each of us has to learn, often the hard way, where our own personal areas of weakness lie. But the necessity to mortify sin, however it makes its presence felt, is universal. No man can be Christ's disciple without daily carrying the cross. This is the word that will help us as we venture into 2019. There will be moments where this word will rescue us. not exactly the most positive sounding word is it but I think we get that right in the kingdom of God not everything feels a certain way and before I, I see if the Lord will help us in a few categories here <clears throat> I, I wrestled with the location of this word in this series particularly after last week Jack Deere comes and speaks on friendship with Jesus. How'd you like to follow the message on friendship with Jesus with crucified? So Keith, why did you follow the message on friendship with Jesus with the word crucified? Well, it's a pretty simple answer because they're both in the Bible. The Bible says a lot about an intimate, affectionate, personal encounter with God where we are overwhelmed by his love and his care for us and his friendship with us. It says a lot about that. We should grow immensely in pursuing that. The Bible says a lot about being crucified with Christ as well. And so don't become one of those people, you know, staring into the Bible is like staring at a a big diamond with a lot of angles and cuts in it. All you do is just stare at it at one point and then just turn it a little bit and something else fires off. It's brilliant and it's bright. And then the next week you turn it again, something else fires off. Listen, when when you cross this year, you are going to need friendship with Jesus. You're going to need to feel the affection of God in our souls. 
And I'm going to bump into moments that are going to feel like self-denial. And I'm going to need that too. So let's stand up together. Bow our, bow our heads together and just in your own personal space in your own conversation with the Lord right now just welcome a conversation with him welcome the Holy Spirit who is among us speak with you about where you are so if you're here this morning and Maybe God lately has been making you more aware of him. More thoughts about God and more thoughts about what God has for your life. But, but you're just not sure where you stand with God. Jesus stands at this moment and he invites us to himself. And, and this invitation invites us to receive a life by giving up a life the one who loses his life is the one who finds it so sometimes we come to church and we haven't been to church our whole life or we've just started coming lately because the wheels are coming off and and life hurts and it's confusing and all those things are screaming at us And what we'd love for Jesus to do is maybe just tighten up one of the wheels that's wobbling. Maybe fix a crack in the windshield so we can get back about what's going on. But Jesus comes and he says, hey, I want you to give me your life. The whole thing. I'll give you back a life. But I want you to give me your life. Entrust it to me completely. In a way, Jesus invites us into death you know our lives are going to die if you will in order to receive a new life a life that he intends to give and that he will be at the very center of it that's what you're doing when you come to Jesus and you come into a relationship with God that's what you're doing you're giving up your life and receiving his life It's much more than a band-aid. It's much more than just a patch on things that might be going bad lately. It's much more than help through a sticky situation. It's a new life. And that's what Jesus is after. Can I just tell you, Jesus is not interested in being anybody's body shop repairman. He wants to give you a new car. But you got to give up the one you got. If anybody would come after me... Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So if you're here this morning, you can't remember a point in your life where you took your life and you gave it to God. And you said, God, here, here's my life. The great thing is, Jesus will take your life, no matter how many miles it's got on it, no matter how many dents and dings and messes it's been in, he'll take it exactly like it is. You don't have to shine it up. 
empty the trash out of the back seat. You don't have to do anything. It's just presenting the car. Just say, God, it is what it is. It's, it's my life. But I give it to you. If you've never done that this morning, right now, do that right now. If you want to do that, do it right now. Tell God that in prayer. Just raise your heart, your voice to him. Say, God, that's me. That's where I am right now. This morning, I, I give you my life in exchange to receive your life. And open your heart. God right now wants to pour his life into you. He wants to give you himself. From this day forward, he wants to be the very center of everything that you're about. That following him is about knowing him and experiencing him and receiving him. Loving him and being loved by him. Being forgiven by him. From this day forward. Maybe there are some that are here this morning that... For you, the, the issue isn't initializing a relationship with Jesus. You, you know that you've done that before. You do have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But you're here this morning and you're struggling, struggling. There's no joy. There's contention in your life. And this may not apply exactly to everybody the same way, but often that contention comes when we begin to resist denying ourselves. It's just, just something about yielding, something about giving up ourselves. Just we're resisting that. Don't want to do that. There's something about God. He just never seems to move on from that point. It's just something about the way He is. He puts his finger on something and he says, give me that. Give me that. Entrust that to me. But Lord, what if you alter it? What if you change that? Give it to me. And trust me. Follow me. Empty yourself. Humble yourself. Pass through this door, this denial of self. But trust me with that. If you're here this morning, I want, I want that to be significant for you because this stuff can, can really get underneath your skin and wreck you in a bad way. So in a few moments, we're going to let some folks just be dismissed. But if, if that's a wrestling point, if you have been resisting and wrestling with God and clinging your hands or squeezing things in your life, and God is saying, let go of that. I want this morning to be a powerful moment where you're able to feel the release of that from your life. You're able to open your hands up and stop white knuckling that thing and just let it go to God because you trust him. Now, if you, if you want to know whether you are running in this category, how much lately have you been in touch with these two emotions? Fear and anger. 
Can I just tell you, if you've been in touch strongly, you see that in your life. Fear is operating in your life and anger is operating in your life. We want to pray for you, but I'm not going to invite you up here to cast out the spirit of fear. It could be that you won't let go of something. You won't take the risk to trust God. And that thing that you're hoping in, it's messing with your hope. And some, when, as soon as something crawls into the hope category, fear and anger come with it. But you let that go today. And that's what we do. When you're on your way to the cross, you just, this is it, God. I'm letting my life go to you. I'm trusting it to you today. So listen, if that describes where you are, could, could you come up and just meet with the Lord for a few moments? Just come up and pray. Come up with the intention of of unfolding, peeling back the thing you're clinging to so hard. And just, you're going to lay it up here. You're going to turn your back on it. And you're going to entrust it to Jesus. And you're going to walk into your life in a whole new way. I promise you, when that thing's not sitting in your heart that way, you will walk out every day differently. So if that's where you're at, Come be with God. Come on. Come out from where you are.